Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Like even at the end of that game, the story isn't fucking Scott Parker. The camera's on Scott Parker's face. <laughs> Aston Villa have just climbed into the Champions League places, never to be dislodged. That's the story. <laughs> It's not fucking Scott Parker getting spanked again. <laughs> Hi guys, Jack Greenish here. Uh, delighted to say that I've signed a new deal with Aston Villa. That morning sky gave me a look. So I left while you were sleeping. That's all it took. Do you remember when Villa were told they were doing a Fulham? Well, that, Liam Doherty, is how you do a Fulham. That's how you carve them up and fry them, chew them and swallow them. Spit out bits if you don't want it. Two games, two wins, fourth in the table. The only team not to concede the goal in the Premier League so far. Villa are up and running. Uh, Liam, let's start with Jack Grealish's goal. Um, like, <laughs> I think he misses that this time last year. I think he only started becoming a bit more clinical at the you know, tail end of last year, or just sort of midway through last year. But that goal, the way he looks at the keeper, he keeps his composure, he's brave, he puts it away without looking at the nets. I think he doesn't score that, and it shows a sort of level that he keeps leveling up for himself. Yeah, and that's something we were calling out for for about three years with Jack Grealish, was greater <laughs> output. And yeah, the look at the keeper, but also the finish. The finish is really clever to just... I don't think he's smashing that. I think he's putting it in at the near post because you can see the keeper going down and he just rolls it into the bottom corner, essentially. It's a, it's a brilliant finish and an incredible goal. It sort of annoyed me because Fulham, Fulham are so bad that the goal was almost taken away from, but it's a great run. It's powerful defending. It's definitely not great. Um, I think it was Jamie Carragher that was highlighting it on Sky Sports. Like The defender sees Jack really sprinting towards him, so he steps towards him. He steps out. I don't know if he's trying to play an offside line or whatever, but like Grealish is 10 yards in front of him. And um, and then Grealish gets in behind. Lovely ball from again. And it starts off with Cash being out in front. So we, like they were aggressive from the very start. Cash is out in front. It just gets it inside to McGinn as he's being clattered. And McGinn just sort of pulls back, has a look, left foot. And that's why they call them McGinn-Esta. <laughs> lovely pass. <laughs> and as you said, lovely finish. Yeah. I, I, Jamie Carragher was doing well to pick out one defender. I mean, he the best player on the pitch, the best player in the country, runs past three players and none of them smell the danger. And it's, it's a lovely ball, but it's it's just into the channel. If any one of those three defenders reacts, they should be blocking it off because he doesn't have a great angle. It's a brilliant finish, as we said. It, it needs to be. 
Um, but yeah, no, I, I thought I thought the defending was atrocious. It nearly took away from the goal a bit for me, but it, they didn't. It was it was an incredible goal, and a brilliant start to the game, and a fucking amazing start to the season. I, do you know what I love? Um, Roy Keane's there, right? And it's Monday Night Football, and Jamie Carragher's doing the the analysis on the screen, and like you know, Keane's just sitting back in that sort of stance that he has, and I was like. <laughs> He is not getting involved with this touch screen. Like, you know, not only because it's, techno- <laughs> it's technology, but it's also analysis, which he doesn't want to do. But then he does, so he, he shocks us all and he gets involved with it. And uh, But all he does is pause it and he says, Look, they're all pointing. Everyone is pointing. At me. <laughs> and then he gets brave and he moves it on a little bit and he pauses it again. He's like, Look, every, everyone is pointing. <laughs> it's yeah. like, that was it. That's all he had to offer. But as you said, it was bang on. The defender was shocking and they were all just passing the buck. Yeah, but that's 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 Roy Keane's analysis. That's as far as he goes. Like he he got involved with the touchscreen, but it was only to point out individual errors. Because as we know, Roy Keane was a brilliant captain, so he can tell people where to be on the pitch. But it, it couldn't it couldn't manage. No, um, we learned that uh, firsthand of Ireland, unfortunately, when he was an assistant manager and he just let them play some terrible football and excused yeah. him for it and did nothing about it. Let's talk about Ollie Watkins. Um, I thought he was very good again, but worrying me a little bit that he was cracking up. He's getting frustrated. Maybe you want that from your striker, but uh, he's just... Uh, look, I, I don't want to be judging him too harshly. He has scored two goals in four games, but um, he seemed to be like lashing at balls or hatching at them, you know, almost trying too hard. His head at miss was like... I, I, and he might, might have got a little nudge, but just that's, that, that smacked at somebody trying too hard as well, trying to get too much power into it. Um, I don't know. Just, I'm just a little bit worried that he that he's cracking up out there, even though he's playing well. It's like he needs to be told, right? A, relax, and B, even if you're not scoring, you're doing really well, and we're winning three 0 Like you know, so it's fine. Yeah, I think if we're being positive about it, we can say that you want your centre forward to be angry. You want them to be to be wanting to score. There's just a slight worry, and it happens with all centre forwards that no matter how well they're playing, and you're right, he was playing really well. If they start missing chances, then they stop playing well. Even it, it all yeah. goes, you know, whenever they don't score for a long time, it all starts to unravel. It worked, it worked out okay for David McGoldrick at Sheffield United, say, last year. He, he continued to play well, but that's that's a rarity. For a centre-forward to not score and still continue to play well is is not common. But so, I think I, I was I was encouraged by the fact that he, that he did. He did keep trying. He was making the right runs he didn't stop doing the right things apart from his finishing he was he was lashing at it a little bit but everything else was right so when do you start to worry about him not scoring goals whenever you can see it in his play whenever he's not making the right run whenever his whenever his finishing is is more tentative i think or or he's just continually smashing it and completely mishitting the ball um I don't know. So definitely not after game two, and definitely not as you said when he's already got two goals. It's a great thing that we've had the cup so early that he was able to get those goals as well. So hopefully, you know, you can reinforce that message. Connor Hurahan's left foot. So this was a shoe up for the books. We're talking about being concerned about something for the first forty-five minutes. 
what the hell happened to Conor Hearn and his left foot? So yeah, the, the one thing that we can, we can we can trust, we can set a clock by with Aston Villa is Hurahan's left foot. And you know, whatever about other managers, Mick McCarthy said something during an Ireland game about his position and not being great, then he can switch off. And you know, we always wondered why was he not always in the team when he's created so many chances. His left foot always created chances, but had a free kick in the byline, balloons it like not like not only did that house not cleared away for him or. You know, <laughs> You know, it's just nobody got the head hit. He blended. He had a deep free kick then further out, and he just he hit it straight towards the keeper. Like, you know, the the crowd had assembled at the other side of the box, and he yeah. just kicked straight towards the keeper. And then he tried to cushion one. Uh, for, there was a ball bouncing in midfield. He just tried to sort of cushion a forward for Grealish, and he just lobbed it into the air, like about 30 feet. And then one time then where I thought, God, this, this is worrying Tyrone Mings. He left a free kick for Tyrone Mings on the halfway line for Mings to try and spray across to Matty Cash, and obviously it got cut out. And I was like, "What? What the hell happened there?" It's very strange, wasn't it? I mean, the, the one that the keeper caught, I've, I've never seen that happen with Hurahan before because his placement is isn't normally so spot on. So the ballooned one, okay, you miss hit a you miss hit a cross every once in a while, but the one that went straight into the keeper's hand was just it's something you just do not see Connor Hurahan doing. I mean, I'm sure we'll come on to it later in the podcast. He made up for it, but it was it was so strange and disconcerting in the first half to see that. It was, and as you say, it did make up for it. So uh, this, like, the only reason this is in here because his left foot is so good and so yeah, yeah. trusty. But, but it's definitely a talking point. <laughs> <laughs> That's how good it is. Yeah. Well, let's um, let's move on to uh, another slight worry, but I, I'm I'm willing to. Um, I hate that we're like this is the nature of being a Villa fan, isn't it? It's like I've got a list of worries here after a three 0 win. Fourth in the table. <laughs> yeah, but you did have uh, WhatsApp wins yourself, so we'll get on to WhatsApp wins later. You text me saying Emmy fraud Tinez <laughs> after, yeah. the, after the Fulham disallowed goal. What do you think after seeing all the replays? Yeah, I, I definitely went too early. That was a, a classic Conan Doherty error. <laughs> uh, looking back, there's a lot happening in front of him and it goes over uh, Mings's head initially. And I don't know, yeah, no, it's... it's Yeah, that's not that bad. It's not like he, he probably should bring it in, but I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah, fine. But- that didn't count anyway, you, you would like to see him bring it in. Like, you saw him do that a few times for Arsenal, just smothering yeah. the ball dead, and it sort of just saps the energy out of everyone because he's just, bang, he's just yeah. killed it. Mings but, is so um, close to him, though. Mings is so close to him, and it just, Mings tries to flick it, yeah. and he doesn't. Like, so, like, it happens. That's it. And Cons has been wrestled to the ground by Mitrovic in front of him. Yeah. Um, Mings might have got a touch on it as well. Yeah, I think we'll let him away for it, especially considering the goal doesn't stand. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. We are two games in and he's got two clean sheets and Villa have two wins. One final thing that I wanted to mention before we move on to analysis in the second part of the show is we talked about John Terry being demoted from the huddle rallying cry at the start of the game. So the Sky Sports shots, they showed an Aston Villa huddle. John Terry was there and I was like, oh God, not this again. And I noticed that John Terry wasn't speaking. No. Craig, Craig Shakespeare was doing the talking. And John Terry was listening intently. It was almost like he was a player. Like I, I thought he looked like he was taking instructions. It was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So now I'm thinking, has like, you know, it's been it's been a good. Do you know what? Actually, when you take 
uh, when you take a macro look now at the last few transfer windows, it's been it's been very pretty good from Villa if you, if you take out Samata. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe Nakamba. Like, there's a few a few things you need to learn from, but uh, it's been good. Like, if you consider like Louise progressing, Trezeguet doing well now. Um, the signings they made this summer are obviously good. Shakespeare is one of the best signings I think that Villa have made. Yeah, absolutely. I was watching that. I was thinking. How bad is Conce's hamstring? You don't want to have to bring on Elmo at centre half. Maybe Terry is actually listed as a player here. <laughs> and oh, you know what? I bet anything would do a bloody job on the Craig Shakespeare as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, coming up, we've got analysis next. So the second goal was unbelievably gorgeous i've never seen a positive reaction like it for a villa goal probably since the fa cup semi-final 2015 against liverpool when delph got the goal uh, mm. remember greenish and benteke they, they linked up and just brent delph got it in the box and caught it back onto his right foot and just curled it in it was just brilliant stuff everything about it from the throw-in watkins's move greenish's run begins touch and hurrahan's finish yeah, it, it was absolutely incredible. And you're right, all, I think, five five or six elements of the goal were brilliant. The quick throw-in needed, and that's that's off the cuff as well, because Jack Rinus is looking to give the ball to target, but then Watkins makes the run and forces it, and then Watkins gets the ball, and again, he forces Grealish's run by holding on to it. And Grealish has to do the underlap, and the underlap's great, and it's a brilliant pick-out from Watkins, perfectly weighted pass. Grealish does brilliantly, obviously. And then his composure, though, to play, to play the ball back. We mentioned this last week. and It's not something you wouldn't expect from Jack Grealish. But, you know, he looks up and he plays a pass into the box instead of just hitting it across the box. One of those ones that makes a, an analyst from the 1980s or 90s saying, oh, that's a great ball if only somebody was in there. There's nobody in there, so it's a shit ball. But Grealish plays the ball back to McGinn. McGinn's touch is lovely. Even if it's not necessarily for Hurahan, um, it's still it's still a brilliant first touch. And then Hurahan just get the fuck out of my way. I got this, and his finish is gorgeous. Just a nice, lovely little, lovely little roll into the corner. And we were worried about his left foot there, but um, it was such a nice finish with his right. Well, that's it. And Hurahan adjusted his run twice as well because he yeah. wanted the ball initially from Grealish. Uh, well, when, before Grealish comes to the box, he sort of wanted that classic one, give it to me here, mm-hmm. now the edge of the box, and we left. Then he darted in. And then when he saw it went to him again, he just changed the angle of it. And yeah, just nice finish. Ollie Watkins, like, obviously had a great role in that as well. Nice pass to Grealish. Those here are already linking up well. But just, we can talk about his head while we're at it. Like, it's, like a, it's like a little velvet cushion that just... It just catches every ball so softly and presents it to whoever he wants to present it to. It's it's quite an asset that he has there. Yeah, it's it's absolutely incredible. But it, it, the the most important, but like it, it's a really rare trait to be able to bring down a sixty yard hoof ball with your head. But um, the vision and what he's trying to do with it is always so creative and spot on as well. But there's one in the second half, I think, where it was Emmy Martinez wants to kick it eighty yards and he's sprinting to get there. Mm. And he turns around and he headers it back. It doesn't go to anybody, the Fulham yeah. right backs there. But it's still, Jesus Christ, even to think to do that. Like most people are just kind of getting ahead on it. That's my job done. Like it was a shit pass. What do you want me to do? But like it's it's the awareness of, well, I'm the furthest man forward, so I have to play it backwards. And that's what he does. And it's, yeah, that's, it is. It's a, it's a good spot, actually. It's, it's, a great, it's a great asset to have and a very rare and even strange one. 
I, I remember that when you're talking about it as well. So it, it shows how good his head is that like we both remember him heading the ball back to know him. <laughs> <laughs> but like he did, you're right. Like, like an 80 yard pass, he has to sprint across, and just the way he takes a sting out of this ball, it's dropping yeah. from the sky for ages. And I actually think. <laughs> That will start tuning players in a bit more as the, as the games go by. It's like, lads, he's going to get the ball and he's going to sit it for you nicely. So wake the fuck up, mm. you know. But um, actually, that that's the one that I sort of want to talk about. Not even just the head, but there is a nice feature coming into Villa's play now where the attackers, no matter who they are, it could be Watkins, it could be Trezeguet, it could be, it's usually not Grealish because he's usually instigating it. McGinn is getting forward a lot. But they're coming square with their back to goal. And they're taking they're taking the ball straight, like whether that's a sideways pass or a ball straight in towards goals, and then they're just getting so many runners off them. And I think that's working as well with Watkins on the head too. But this is especially important, I think, for Grealish. Didn't happen tonight because Fulham were idiots, but um, like he's usually been double mark, triple mark sometimes when he has the ball. So like he needs he needs an option for him to get the ball back to create something again rather than him passing the buck. And I've seen it a few times now where Watkins has his back to goal and he's just taking a pass from Grealish and getting it straight back to him so Grealish can give and go. It's it's just it's just nice little intricate play that's happening up top. Yeah, and that's the thing. When you put good players together up top, they, they tend to play well together. And that type of pattern of play, it, 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 can, it can't be defended. If, if you've just got people running onto the ball, like back fours, even the best ones, are in a line and they're static. The body shape can be better off and, you know, they can turn to the side so they can follow the run, but it's so hard if somebody's got a 15-yard, you know, head of steam and you're turning them. It's 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 almost impossible to defend if you can get the, the passes, right, passes into feet for the runners or behind for the runners. Um, no, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a lovely system. And you can see that, that Dean Smith was really eager to correct that because he obviously wants to get his best player into the game as much as possible and to frame yeah. up as much as possible. So as soon as you get the opposition thinking about all their people on the pitch, then they're just gonna they're gonna forget that Jack Grealish is there. Not forget, but you know, they're gonna pay less attention to him because they have to. Um and he's mentioned it a few times in interviews when he's talking about other signings. So when he was talking about Ollie Watkins, he was talking about his ability to play with Grealish. When he was talking about Bertrand Trory, he was talking about the fact that he'll take some of the strain off Jack Grealish. So he's all, he was obviously conscious of that last year, and there was a risk and a worry that Villa would become a, a one-trick pony and very easy to defend against. Although people knew last year that Jack Grealish was the player that he is and they still couldn't defend against him. But, you know, that people would wise up to that eventually, I think. Well, let's talk Bertrand Chirori, just while you mention him. Um, he was only on the pitch for... 14 or not even eight minutes was it he got he got towards the end um 82nd minute i think he came on and uh jesus lovely just whipped ball around the corner towards ollie watkins who probably toughed at a bounce for him and he, he felt like he had a hit a first time to get mcginn away i think i think he could have like let it drop a little bit and just play it with his foot in front of mcginn a little bit further i could see he's conundrum but um geez gr- great little play between Terori and Grealish. Terori does not want to give the ball away, which is a good sign. Gives you a heart attack when you're desperate to keep a clean sheet. <laughs> but, um, but him and Grealish, just like that, that's great to see. Moving from your own half, playing that like sort of creatively, and then just one pass, taking three men out of it, and switching the play, and then Watkins has a chance to pop McGinn through because McGinn just keeps running. Um, nice from Terori. Ah, that was brilliant. Yeah, and I don't think there's, I don't think there's any doubt that Terori suits 
this system, which Villa will be playing against teams like Fulham a lot more often. Um, he suits it a lot, a lot more than than Trezeguet does. Uh, Trezeguet will be will be really useful this season, but he's not he's not the guy for this system, I don't think. And and Trory seems to me like he's the the perfect player for this system. Villa Villa lost bite. Um, and a bit of intent, I thought, after the second goal, like which was early on, 13, 14 minutes. And like, obviously, it's a 3 0 win. It's an away win. It's an important win against a team, uh, you know, who, who will be around the bottom of the table. Wasn't that good a performance? You know, it probably deserved a 3 0 because Fulham were useless. But, um, you know, just it sort of petered out, especially in the second half. I, I thought there were more goals there for Villa if they wanted them. Every time they went at Fulham, they looked like a shambles. So, little bit disappointing that they didn't just you know go for the jugular um yeah it wasn't wasn't amazing from villa i don't think no and, and they stopped playing in the first half after they scored the second goal but we've both been there it's really tough psychologically when you score early twice and both of them are pretty easy it's really easy to slip into the this is easy you know the best teams normally in that situation will smell blood and will just kill the game but you have to remember that what happened to Villa so often last year. Because Villa weren't that bad at the start of last year. They played really well. Mm. But they just kept getting caught. They just kept being kept getting reminded that it, that it is a step up, that teams yeah. better, they can score. So there's there's two ways you can approach it, obviously. You can keep it tight and at worst you'll win 2-0 because Fulham weren't going to score. Or you can go for the blood. And, I, and I, I think the experience of last year made them go for... Made the players, I would say, go for option one. Now, my natural tendency would be to go for option two, and I think we found out at half time that it's it's Dean Smith's preference as well. He sent them out to get a goal to start of the second half, and they got it, and they were three 0 up, and then the players went back into the let's just see this out attitude, and it's probably it's probably learned experience from last year, and I can't necessarily blame them for that. They won three 0 away from home against a team at the start of the year. People, you know, the most pessimistic Villa fans would have been thinking we'll be battling this team for a place in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. So to win 3 0, you can see why the players would just go for a 3 0 win. But no, I, you're right. They absolutely lost bite. Um, well, like, just you talk about last year, and obviously. It's <laughs> not talk about last year. With no, but I mean, <laughs> we, should, <laughs> we, we should ban talk of. Um, you know, oh, people like I'm fed up with Dean Smith uh, getting asked in interviews and the analysis around Villa in the studios about post lockdown and tightening up and like right we get it like you know change the change the record um but one specific aspect of that that I noticed in those nine games or there's probably seven where they were really good and really tight um was it almost like they're allowing teams to have free crosses into the box because they're playing they're playing with a narrow defense obviously like when you're playing a four three three. You know, it's tough. Like it, it can be more easily exposed, especially if you want your fullbacks out trying to block a cross or out trying to cover a winger or, or another fullback. So there's less support for him when you're playing four three three. Are Villa just letting teams have that ball, knowing in the in the knowledge that they've got a tight defence, they've got Douglas Luiz in front of them, they've got Kanza and Mings who will battle for a cross. Are they happy that the cross are coming to the box and they'll they'll have enough people there to try and deal with it? I, I'm not sure because. It's definitely a risky strategy against Alexander Mitrovic, who is amazing in the air. He's incredible. Um, 
and they were exposed a lot in the first couple of minutes and they didn't do anything about it so it it seems like it has to be it has to be attack it has to be a choice all right um like after six minutes there was a the, there was a big chance for Mitrovic when the, the cross was whipped in and it kept happening it happened another I think two or three times in the next six or seven minutes and if I if I was looking at that now I would be thinking right I was playing against Villa. I'm loading everything onto my right wing, Villa's left wing, because Grealish, Hurahan, Target, that's that's not the best defensive combination you'll ever see. Especially when you compare it to the other side, where tonight, anyway, they had Trezeguet, McGinn, and Cash. Yeah. I would be overloading my right wing if I was playing against Villa, and particularly on the evidence of tonight, but even just looking at the team sheet, that's a potential area for concern. Because Matt Target's not fast enough. Conor Hurahan has no interest. And Jack Grealish, while he, he always tries and he gets back, he just doesn't have any in- instincts for it. I've, I've seen him so many times just kind of standing and then getting confused and really, oh, shit. <laughs> right yeah. back there. He, he seems to have that permanent confused face that he has yeah. when he, he always has that when he's in, the, in his own defensive area. Um, like, but, but you're right about it being a choice because... You know, Dean Smith and Craig Shakespeare aren't not noticing, you know, that the wingers are getting the ball so easily. Or, you know, every time they want it, the wingers can have the ball or the fullback who's joining in. They have space. They have time. Like, that's not someone that's catching Villa by surprise after all this time, especially all those games. So I'm just wondering, is that a is that an estimation where they've thought, where they've, where they've just thought, you know what? We are conceding less goals by letting them cross the ball in from wide than we were when we were letting teams come through the middle, or we we're making some mistakes in the middle, or or whatever else. Is it just like we can we can control this situation more? Yeah, um, I don't, I don't like, know. Like they're they're definitely letting them advance that far, but there there was a moment um, around the thirtieth minute mark where there was a roar of get across, get across. Yeah. So I, they're they're inviting them on a little bit, but I don't think I don't actually think there's. They're supposed to be letting them cross it in. <laughs> yeah, well, but you, you mentioned Mitrovic and you're right, Tate, because obviously he's so dangerous in the air. But that was something I noticed. Like, he, he didn't he didn't have a big chance where it was like he should have scored that. Like, he, the crosses that he was getting, the head, the headed chances, you would call them, that he was getting, hmm. like they were behind him, they were far out, they were from a bad angle. Like, it seemed, oh, it seemed like... Black was on him as well, often, yeah. Yeah, like they were they were tight. But um, I think I, I still think it was a risky strategy. It was you know, Mitrovic is very good in the air, so it doesn't matter. Like, even if even if uh, Mings is right beside him, if the cross is perfect, there's nothing Mings can do about it. Or Mings is going back towards goal, and Mitrovic has got him under pressure. Then like you know, anything can happen once you once you let that pattern of play develop. But it was it was really interesting that that seemed to be. This you know bright young manager's only game plan. Scott Parker's game plan was whip the ball into Mitrovic, yeah. and they're talking about beforehand though, to stay in this league he might have to come back a little bit on his principles. It didn't really seem to happen. His philosophy, yeah, his attacking philosophy was nineteen nineties British football at its worst. Get the ball wide and get it in. Like. That that was um that was Mick McCarthy in the championship stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
Get the ball out wide and yeah, get the ball into the big man and just see what happens. Put it into the bloody mixer. Um, I just wonder is that just lazy analysis? Maybe they hadn't seen Fulham too much. Just like we just assumed that a team conceding loads of goals must be uh must be being really pure attacking because Norwich were doing that last year. But actually, it's just a team who's really bad defensively as well as yeah. well as being bad going forward. They're they're not a good outfit. They're absolutely terrible. And it was funny at the start they were trying to they're trying to figure out what system Norwich or what system Fulham were going to be playing because there was four players lined up, you know, doing the practicing the headers out. Yeah. I was like, they ended up playing before, but Jesus Christ. Well, I don't know. I don't know what they were practicing at the start. <laughs> it's a lot easier as well when you're defending a 10 meter area, the way they were doing it in that warm up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when it's just, whenever it's your coach throwing it into the air. Trezegui has lost his belly. <laughs> Full stop. That's uh, the only thing I can say to that is I'm surprised you could tell because I didn't realize Trezegui was playing. <laughs> so I didn't see him on the pitch, so I don't know how you didn't see his belly. <laughs> Some WhatsApp thoughts, Liam, that I didn't send you. So here goes. I'm erect. <laughs> uh, second goal, Alison. <laughs> second goal is right. <laughs> I don't think there's anything else you can say for that. Yeah, it was it was arousing. <laughs> right. Well, here goes next one. In fantasy football, there should be points for the assister to the assist. Second goal again. <laughs> second goal again. Because I have Jack fucking Grealish in my team and he made that second goal and he's not going to get anything for it. It shows how bullshit the game is. Yeah, it, like, yeah. It's, 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 it's frustrating, particularly in this era of stats that we live in. Mm. You know, it's a, like David Silva has play, has done that so many times for Man City, but you know he doesn't have that many assists to his name necessarily. But he's yeah. played the pass that makes the goal. Like, like John McGinn does well to stop the ball. <laughs> he's stopping. He's stopping Jack Grealish's assist. Yeah, no, it was it was incredible from Jack Grealish, and he does that so often. And this is the thing. Like actually, people a lot of people are so stupid that they need these stats as well. How many times have you had an argument with somebody where they're pointing out goals and assists, and it's like, well, that. that Football is a hard game to play, and a lot of elements come into it before you get down to an assist. And obviously, a lot of the best players get a lot of the goals and assists as well. But so much, like Kevin De Bruyne, does more than just assist. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he's the fulcrum for everything Man City does. And when you look at American sports, just so much better done, you know, than it is here because like they have assisted assister and they they take in all these other elements to to a game. Yeah, and the, there's a bit of a movement towards it to look at key passes and things like that, which I'm sure Jack Reedus will get, but th- there's more intangible things that, than just the key pass or the assist, where, say, for example, J- Jack Reedus is constantly causing imbalances uh, in the opposition's team. So whenever he's carrying a pass somebody, like he can't like, okay, that was down as a dribble completed, but it doesn't tell you the whole picture. Jack Reedus has done there. He's completely fucked up Fulham's whole defensive structure that they were working on for the entire week. 
to stop John McGinn's late run, whatever it happens to be. Jack Reelis is doing that all game, and it's something that, yeah, the, the statisticians won't be able to take account of. Yeah. Number three. Has the prick who stands offside before a free kick is taken ever scored? <laughs> I'm sure Ruud van Nisselrooy, the the first proponent of it that I can remember, has scored from it. And I think maybe he scored the first time it happened, and that's why it's persisted. I'm not sure. It, it, it is a strange thing that doesn't seem to work. But maybe, again, that's just something to keep the defenders thinking. Maybe it makes them drop that extra six inches. I don't know. Yeah. I just like like I I don't think they ever score and I I don't think it ever bothers the defensive line. But do you know what? Now that you mentioned Ruud van Nistelrooy, it's actually a it's actually a really good point, um, and I'll accept it. So I was just checking, really. So you think van Nistelrooy, <laughs> you think he has scored from it? Yeah, why not? No one bother, No one's going to bother checking that. <laughs> There's not stats for this sort of thing, anyway. <laughs> doggy, don't start acting like a bollocks now. Doggy, doggy, doggy. Yeah, um, so that's, <laughs> we talked about how tough it is psychologically when you score early and you step off a little bit, but that, that slipping into this is easy, it can present itself so in so many different ways. Yeah. It's not just from the, you know, your lack of, your lack of impetus going forward or your lack of looking for a goal, it's just your, your lack of remembering that you're a professional footballer, you have to stay on top of it. So I, I wouldn't necessarily mind if Villa decided to win that game 2-0, but that takes really tough psychology then because then you're just seeing it out and you have to be fucking on it then for the next 80, 76 minutes. And you can't you can't start slipping into pissing around with a ball. Well, this is it. And actually, it opens up a good discussion about Douglas Louise because I think he is the one who's most vulnerable to Villa coaxing. Because it's like a green light for him to start playing samba football, and like the the reason I wrote this, uh, this lad he was down the right wing, and he took the ball and he tried to flick it behind him mm. to Trezeguet. He just he wasn't there. Trezeguet had gone ahead of him, and mm. Fulham streamed down and they scored that goal that was then disallowed. You know, and it all starts from your holding midfielder being out on the the right wing and trying a bit of skill that. You know, like I, I like when Dougie's confident on the ball and he, he's taking men out of it, but that was just, as you say, it was lax and you need to be professional and you need to be on it and like do the things that you do well. Like Dougie has been amazing, been, been Villa's best player for the last for the last four or five months. So you know, keep doing that and you would you would have railroaded for him four or five nil. Otherwise, like probably could have been three one, three two there and then. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think if you just if you just keep doing the right things, you'll you'll create chances against Fulham. <laughs> you don't have to be trying Rabonas on the right wing as your right winger streaming past you. You know, you can just play the simple passes and you'll break them down. But also, yeah, just don't risk it. But maybe it was just a miscommunication with one of his teammates and we're, we're overthinking it because our introduction to Douglas Louise was him doing a, <laughs> doing a dummy for, for Harry Wilson to rattle one into the top corner. Yeah, that's... That's definitely fair. There's two elements to that being fair. Number one, I, I was um, unreasonably obsessed with getting a clean sheet. I, I don't know why. Like I, I, start, I, think I feel like I became a, a manager for a second. It's like, we need to clean sheet. And you know, obviously, it, it bodes well, but it doesn't really affect anything. They were getting the they were getting three points no matter what by that stage. Um, and also, you, you're right. Like I, 
it just brought back bad memories of Douglas Louise. And it's like, oh no, don't bring this player back. The player who <laughs> who always showed glimpses of being really good, but just couldn't trust him, couldn't trust his head at that time is what we were thinking. And then suddenly, like, you know, we were chatting about him last week being an elite level holding midfielder. It's just like, just just stay at that level, please, Douglas. Don't, don't start messing around now. So if we want to be positive and negative at exactly the same time, yeah. Douglas Louise will continue to be brilliant because Villa aren't going to have that easy a game ever again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's um, that's definitely fair. So the last one. This is a shambles. Fulham are terrible, and Villa are sitting back and letting them dominate the game. Yeah, I, mean, I think that. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's that's probably emblematic of where whatsapp win just came from your complete unreasonableness <laughs> i mean the previous message we were talking about villa taking it too easy and coasting in the game <laughs> and now you're calling it a fucking shambles <laughs> this one three nil away from home against on paper a relegation rival it's been a good night <laughs> All right, categories after this. Categories, starting with the Weiman meter. Um, he was going up in it last week, the Andres Weiman. I could never hate you sticks, but I have him going down on the Weiman meter this week. And that man is Trezeguet. Um, tried hard again, which, like, you know, is <laughs> what will be the baseline for this for this this meter, I suppose we can call it, but um, he had two on one, and Ollie Watkins is on his right hand side. Really bad pass. There was one then that sort of, uh, in like Watkins had to check back, and then like just by the time he he collected the ball, Fulham had everybody back. There was one which was very similar to what Vyman would have done, where he like literally ran around a square in the forward line. He came across the box, he ended up coming straight back out, going across again. Uh, got back into the box, tried to play it tight with Grealish. The whole time, it looks like he doesn't have control of the ball. And then he eventually just fell on his face in the box and <laughs> lost the ball. Um, worked hard, and as you say, he's going to be very useful this year. But just, I think he, he went down a little bit in the meter. Big chance for him tonight. Yeah, and probably his last chance, as I hinted at earlier. Because um, I think I think Bertrand Drury is going gonna, is gonna to suit this team a hell of a lot better. But he, um, like this this category could eventually become known as the Trezeguet meter because he's so similar to Andreas Weidman. Tries his heart out, gives everything, but ultimately frustrating. That's fair. Going up on the Weidman meter, Mr. John McGinn. I think he was going up last week as well. Maybe, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think he's going to keep going up. There was one that summed him up. It showed that he's back. So all the, all the breaking forward, the playing well is obviously good. The assists. But um, second half, you can just you can see him at the top of the picture, coming flying across the pitch, going back to right back. He mentioned that right hand side. He's coming from the centre forward, just driving down like a dog with a bone again. That like those gifts of the dogs, like that's that's John McGinn. Um, and he somebody pulled back, but McGinn had already decided this attack is stopping. <laughs> he just minced the guy straight through. Got his yellow card. Didn't even look at the ref. He just thought like I've come this far. And not getting caught out, and it sort of shows a bit of street smarts of Villa as well. But McGinn is just endearing himself every week. John, John McGinn is is the player that we all fell in love with 
again, he just he just is. He's back. I was far too harsh on him after lockdown. I, I obviously didn't take into account the fact that he was just back from injury during a pandemic when he couldn't train and he was thrown straight back into the team. But he was absolutely brilliant tonight. He was incredible. Did everything right. And just that shoulders up, head down, sprinting back after the left back non-stop. I, I, I'm finding it hard to to think of anybody who had an engine like John McGinn because he is unbelievable. He's, he's like a 1990s box-to-box midfielder. It's incredible the energy that lad has. He, he definitely looks like one of the fittest players that I've seen. Or like he, <laughs> I don't know what he doesn't look fitter. like a fit player. <laughs> yeah. Or like I was going to say, like it, it looks it anyway, but like he just he's definitely working harder than anybody, whether he's fitter or not. He's doing he's doing more intense runs than anybody that I've seen in a long time. And he's doing them you're talking sixty, seventy meter runs every time as well. It's not short bursts that, that midfielders would usually do. He is emptying it the whole way across the pitch. It's Oh, it's heartwarming and like when you add in that he's a good player and then when he does get to the ball it's not like not like one of these classic players who works hard for you and like you know he's not going to give you much but everybody likes him anyway <laughs> like Trezeguet <laughs> <laughs> when, he, when he gets the ball then he manages to maintain that bit of class he manages to win frees he keeps his composure he can set up goals as well so um it's just a rare player and it's just a gem for Villa. Did you did you see the double drag back he did at full speed in the second half? It was absolutely <laughs> insane. I and I, I actually you know did a double take. I was like, what what has happened there? He didn't do that. Because he was running so fast. It was incredible. Yeah. If anyone hasn't seen that, I'm sure I'm sure it's been gift. Look it up, it's amazing. At one stage as well, he's flying forward and you think it's almost like the Jamaican bobsleigh team, you know, where it's bombing down the track, but the brakes aren't working, so it's out of control. And you think this is bad, but he manages to sort of weave his way in between two, three players by like, even though he's going 100 miles an hour, he flicks it out of the way of one person and he gets there before the next person and bang, he's clattered again. It's it's almost like a, a more uncontrolled version of Grealish where he's drawing tackles, but he's doing it at such a pace that people have no choice but to come into him as well. Yeah, ah, he's brilliant. He's, he's he's incredible. He's going to break the meter soon enough. <laughs> yeah. The Peter Enkelman, what the fuck award. <laughs> uh, Jack Grealish, crossfield pass on uh, left back, straight, straight to somebody in front of goals who absolutely balls it up. They ballooned it over. Um, Grealish tried to switch it the whole way across to, to Cash I think he was out in the right wing but um, he he balls it up badly and uh, it, it went way short Yeah and Jack Grealish has to see the Fulham man as well because he's standing in between the two of them um, so he's standing in between Jack Grealish and, and Maddie Cash and he still plays the pass it was so, so strange because you can see the left back can see Jack Grealish wants to play that pass and he's even pushing up. So even in the absence of the, the players, a Cavalero with Felta, it's still a terrible ball to play because Matty Cash is going to be under a lot of pressure as soon as it lands. Yeah, it was bizarre. And it's not like Jack, so I think we can probably just leave it at that and hopefully he never hears this. <laughs> well, the only other two nominees were involved in the... The Fulham goal, well, the goal that wasn't, um, and we mentioned them both, so Martinez dropping the ball, but we can forgive him for it, so we can actually probably cross him off this list. Um, and the Douglas Louise one, which should stay there anyway, like just that little 
back heel that he was trying, um, which was a, a disaster. I, th- I think Grealish wins this, and I don't think he's ever going to be in it again. I think um, I think we should give it to him for that for that reason alone. I, I think that's. I think it was definitely the, the worst of the three. Congratulations, Jack. Um, <laughs> <laughs> questions we can't answer, but probably will anyway. How many late or cynical foils would Dennis Odoi have had to make to get a second yellow card? He wasn't getting sent off tonight. That <laughs> <It> was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I had written down at one stage, if he does that nine more times, he could be in big trouble. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was insane. It was, it, yeah, I, maybe, maybe the ref felt sorry for him or maybe just like, the Villa players after the second goal, he just took his foot off the pedal. Thought well, I can ref this game, no baller at all, and just stop paying attention to what was happening on the pitch. Like the, his first yellow was too late. <laughs> you know, yeah. when he when he got that yellow, I was like, oh, he's gone. Mm. I was like, wait, he's only his one yellow. What the? Fu-? And then he like definitely four more at least yellow card events. They're coming in late and just cynical fouls all night. Yeah, because it well the game was drifting a little bit, and I kind of sat up whenever I, whenever he the ref was running towards him because I thought, oh, red card. Watkins <laughs> will get his goal now. This is great. And I was like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, second one. I only have three here. Roy Keane thinks Scott Parker is a dweeb. This could have been in WhatsApp whinges as well. It wasn't really a win, so I put it into this. It's not really a question either, but... Uh, it's not a statement of fact. Does Roy Keane think Scott Parker is a dweeb? Roy Keane thinks everybody's a dweeb. <laughs> like Patrick Vieira was hulking over uh, Roy Keane. Five inches, and he thought he was a dweeb. Roy, Roy Keane said to Patrick Vieira whenever he was picking on Gary Neville, why don't you pick on someone your own size? Presumably meaning himself, standing a whole centimetre and a half bigger than Gary Neville. Roy Keane's not wise. <laughs> I just thought every time he cut back from Parker being interviewed, for some reason he was being interviewed two or three times before the game, and... Uh... Talking shit, obviously, and <laughs> and every time we cut back, it looked like Roy Keane was holding in a laugh, and it looked like you know Carragher had that little knowing look that he has sometimes, you know, when he knows what somebody's laughing at or whatever. Just seemed like Keane was just unimpressed. He might have made a made a remark when he was talking that, that made other people sort of appreciate it in the studio. They're on to him. Like they're on to Scott Parker. Scott Parker is the media's darling. You know, this is why he won the. The football writers award and whenever West Ham were relegated, yeah, like, he's a proper football bloke, you know, and he he tries to pretend that he's intelligent as well, so then pretentious football writers can get behind him. Like Scott and Roy Keane, just that's absolute fodder for Roy Keane. You know, he <laughs> he, he snuffs that out immediately. He hates bullshit, and you're right, he hates Scott Parker. <laughs> questions we can't answer answered firmly <laughs> final one it's actually it's so just why you say that it's so easy to be a, a media darling as well because all you have to do is not be one of those managers who says nothing and then everyone just lo- like you know scott parker is actually saying nothing as well but he's saying it in a different way he's not he's not speaking in cliches 
he's, he's pretending like he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. But they, <laughs> this, everyone feels a, an obligation to, to listen to him. He's yeah. not talking, he's talking sense. But like, even at the end of that game, the story isn't fucking Scott Parker. The camera's on Scott Parker's face. Aston Villa have just climbed into the Champions League places, never to be dislodged. That's the story. It's not fucking Scott Parker getting spanked again. <laughs> right, finally, will the <laughs> Scott Parker on bringing Fulham to his second relegation? Yeah. Will Villa regret not getting five at least to add to their goal difference? You know, just to cushion, cushion the Man City or Liverpool blow that's sure to come. Uh, uh, no. Well, uh, you think you think that'll give United the edge in the Champions League race? <laughs> I'm just thinking about last year. Remember, um, Villa had great they had a great uh, goal difference record last year. You know when you start looking over your shoulder and you're like, okay, well there's an extra point, and then just. I think it was in the space of three or four games. Like Man City hammered them. Oh, it might have been Liverpool. Somebody else did, and it was just bang, bang, bang. And oh, Leicester, um, that was just wiped out. And I thought, like you know, a one game where you win five nil will just you know cushion that blow when that happens later in the year. If you if you are looking over your shoulder, um, I just thought like especially as well there was an opportunity there to score five goals. Um, would have been nice. Those games aren't coming this year though. Villa aren't getting spanked by anybody this year. And don't forget as well, they, they beat Norwich 5-1 away from home early-ish in the season last year. Mm. Um, and that, that did fuck all the cushion the goal difference. <laughs> well, leave it at that. A good night. Villa won 3-0. They are in the Champions League places. Roy Keane is still his glorious self. And... Yeah, it's all, it's all looking good. Stoke City on Thursday night in the last 16 of the League Cup. Liverpool on Sunday night. We're in the thick of it now and we're feeling good. Catch you all later. That wind is calling my name And I